I read um, this very interesting article. Have you ever heard of being catfished? It's not fishing, okay? So for you, they go like, oh, I know catfish. I catch them all the time. No, it's a different kind of catfish. Um, and, and simply, uh, the story that I read, let's just call, I change her name all the time, call her Monica just for now. Monica was just a young adult. Um, like all young adults in this time and age, find themselves often very alone. Because uh, what the world is saying to you, the way that you find the right person is you've got to find a compatible person. By compatibility means somebody that likes what I like, enjoy what I eat, somebody that's going to make my dreams come true, somebody that's not going to change me, I'm not going to change them. It would help if they were Christian too. Just so you know, that person doesn't exist on the planet. If you say, I want to marry somebody that's not going to be hard work, good stinking luck. <laughs> because the person you marry is going to change, and so are you. So I was sharing with them about this young lady that found herself often alone, and, and then she goes online, and it's just normal to go into chat rooms and know the danger of creepers out there, you know? Um, so she ran across this guy whose name is Chad, and Chad is a name I just made up, um, but there was this person, and um, they began to just loosely chat in this chat room, and, and uh, she discovered that Chad loves poetry, just like her. Chad loves to go to museums, art museums, just like her. The talk was loose in the beginning, and um, in the next night she would pick it up again, and she and Chad was talking more, and, and um, she felt a connection with Chad, because Chad was asking her questions about her life, empathy, compassion, he's wise, and and she began to form this bond with Chad and it went from the chat room at night to WhatsApp during the day. And Chad, early in the morning, would say, um, I just came off my sunrise surfing because he lives in Huntington Beach. Um, and, oh, I'm so jealous, Chad, Chad, Chad. Now, what do you think she thinks what a Chad looks like in Huntington Beach that knows poetry, loves art, and goes out for a sunrise surf. Come on. Who doesn't want Chad? I want Chad. You know what I mean? It's like, it's the life you always want to live. And she just, she didn't want to ask for a picture because she knows then it just gets weird. And, and then uh, she... After a, a, a long period of time, she began to say, she made this up. She says, I've got family in California. I'm going to fly over. And she was waiting for Chad to go like, oh, you're coming to California. I want to meet you. But Chad didn't. And, but what she didn't realize that Chad was not Chad in Huntington Beach. Chad was a guy called Bubba in Kalamazoo, living in his mother's basement at age 37 who dropped out of school. He loves Doritos and Mountain Dew. Now, you're forming a picture of Baba right now. Baba had a knack to make emotional 
connections with women. There were 90, I think 94, 92 women that had an emotional connection with Baba. Now, when Ch Baba was exposed for what he is, and I'm just going to say this, a creeper, um, extorting emotions. The interesting part of the article is that most women, even though it was exposed, didn't want to believe it because what they wanted was so important to them that they chose to deny the facts. And the reason why I shared that story, as I said to the youth, and I want to say to you, not youth, young adults, don't let your faith be catfished. Don't let the world promise you something that your heart wants so much, but they're catfishing your faith. They're telling you certain things that you want to hear, but Scripture exposes those things, but you still want to believe what they believe because you want something that you may think God cannot give. So today we're going to open with a scripture together in the second book of Timothy. And by the way, there is a scripture here that um, is in Matthew, and I think I say it's in Timothy, but it's in the Bible, so find it, okay? Um, it goes like this. Come on, let's read. Uh, Do your best to present yourself to God as a tried and true worker who isn't ashamed to teach the word of truth correctly. In other words, the word and truth goes together. Then he says this, avoid the pointless discussion. People who pay attention to these pointless discussion will become ungodly. Then he says, and what they say will spread like cancer. They have abandoned the truth. They are destroying the faith of others. I'm here to tell you that as we discussed last week, that I am very worried about two groups of people because deconstructing, it is a very healthy part as forming personal faith. But deconstructing is not the end goal. It's in the middle of the process because reconstructing is the goal. And reconstructing is a worldview of mental maps based on deep conviction and biblical truth that has become an anchor of faith to live by. Now, I am worried that many people grew up in Christian homes and they've never asked the question, why? If you say to them, why did Jesus have to die? They go like, because he loves me. If that's all you know why Jesus had to die, I promise you, you are prey for people with cancerous theology. Because love is a small part of a much greater story. And I believe if there's ever a time where you cannot afford to believe things that you have not investigated, studied, and you have deep conviction on those things. But then there is a second group of people here that I believe stands the danger that you are deconstructing and deconstructing and deconstructing out of um, community, out of faith. Um, you are in a very thick fog and you are having deconstructing conversations with Baba in the basement. You don't know what Baba is believing. You don't know 
what Baba's life's going to turn out, but it just sounds emotionally correct. So today I want to talk to you about the convergence of three external things and three internal things that we need to pay attention on attention of because these things will play a critical role how we view scripture, the church, faith, the community that we are in. And I'm so thankful that you are here, Greece Campus, you are there and those who are joining us online and at the other extension sites because you would not show up this morning if you didn't have a desire for God, for truth and that your heart is open. And as I speak to you, I want you to know that I'm not speaking at you. If I could, I would have us all sit on the carpet and I would sit among you. Because this is a hot conversation, not hard, but hot, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, hot conversation that um, I want you to feel the safety of it. Now, when we talk about the convergence of things, we are talking about this very place when three things overlap and come together. Now, the very first external thing um, that plays into it, this is so slow today, oh Lord have mercy, is, I'll just forget this, I'll focus on this, is that we live in a time of cheap grace and low discipleship. Um, I'm going to talk to you about a low discipleship because discipleship is always hand in hand by being in community, being open with your life and following, asking questions. And we live in a time where they say nobody should tell you what to think and what to believe, right? In other words, nobody's going to tell me what the truth is. I want you to know that there is no becoming like Jesus and following the ways of Jesus without being part of a community that you can imitate of those who have been holding the faith for a very long time and showing fruitfulness. But what is cheap grace? You know a pendulum swings. And unfortunately life is about and truth is about a pendulum. Um, and a pendulum never settles in the middle and holds the tension. It is always going extreme to the one, extreme to the other. Now, I grew up in a time where there was no grace. I wished there was grace. Um, it was always about, is your name in the book of life or is not? And you're clear, if it's not, you're going to burn in hell. Um, the worm will not die. There'll be gnashing of teeth and your skin is going to melt like wax forever, right? And you would hear out, um, take out the trash. Why don't you take out the trash? You're not honoring your mother and father. You realize your name is not in the book of life right now. It's like the angel went, yeah, Pierre's not taking out the trash today. No grace, no grace. And I want to say this, the God that's in scripture is not going to send you to hell because you didn't take out the trash, right? No grace. You in, you out. You in, you out. But now we live in a time where Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian during the time of, of Hitler. And um, he, there was a book that he wrote called The Cost of Discipleship. And he speaks of 
cheap grace this way. He says cheap grace is the idea that grace did it all for me so I don't need to, do, need to change my lifestyle. The believer who accepts the idea of cheap grace think he can continue to live like the rest of the world in rebellion and willful sin, right? Instead of following Christ in a radical way, the Christian lost in cheap grace think he can simply enjoy the comforts of this grace. Let me give you another one that he speaks on. He he says cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness Without requiring repentance, in other words, repentance say, it is wrong, I'm turning around, and I'm not going to do the things that God says breaks his heart. He says, um, it is a baptism without church discipline. Church discipline simply means when you are acting in rebellious, sinful ways, that the people who love you sit you down and say, what is going on? Right now, whenever that happens, people say it's church abuse. Nobody should tell me if I'm doing anything wrong. If your children, if you could never tell your children when they do anything wrong, you are creating a gigantic problem for someone else. Come on now. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Communion without confession. And cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living, uh, living and personified. When he says grace without the cross, uh, Jesus is telling us the only way to be my disciple is to pick up your cross daily. That means you die to self in order to receive the life of Christ. Jesus didn't call us to follow him at no cost. He says the only way to receive life is to die to the old way of living right? That's how you receive life. So Bonhoeffer speaks of this church, cheap grace. And then the second thing is an ascendant into secular, secular ideologies. We live in a time right now where we are surrounded by it. We are surrounded with government policies. We are surrounded with ideologies of the wake the woke culture and cancel culture, um, ideologies that is forming on the outside that now they want to impose. I shared with uh, the previous uh, uh, service, um, I was invited to a large pastor's gathering at First Bible Baptist, and they had a, a file in front of us of the law that the previous governor wanted to pass without churches being aware of the time of the passing of the law. And it's got to do with your children. Some of those laws are so frightening. At age seven and age 12, um, in that law if they pass it, that you as a parent have no say over what your kids get in vaccinations. You have no um, right to know if your daughter wants an abortion after the age 12. You can no longer go into the doctor's room and go with your child. The doctor takes your child to the back and they decide what that child's going to get. It had to do with sexuality. It had to do with teaching uh, um, sexual preferences and self-pleasuring at, at, um, at great naught. Think about it. And there's an ideology right now that's become very prevalent. And again, I want you to know that large grace and acceptance 
I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying think about it, especially as a parent, that you've got to raise your child. You've got to raise your child gender neutral until the age of four. Then the child will tell you what they are. Now, the question that I have, what other important decisions can a four-year-old make that will implicate the rest of their life? Yet, I want you to know that I am fully aware of people that are working through um, gender issues. And, and I pray that the Father's house will be the most fantastic place for you to feel safe when you find yourself in that journey. Um, I have no judgment to where you are, but, but the ideology around making everything okay, and now everybody has to, somebody just shared with me that, that right now they say um, on TikTok, there is a whole ideology that if you're a, a young teen, age 13, that if they, your parent tells you something to do that you don't want to do, that it's emotional abuse and you can report them. Now think about it. What are we, what are we gonna raise? We're gonna raise monsters, right? But these ideologies are around us right now. And, and the ide ide ideologies are coming at it, us and come as everybody. And the moment you have an opinion about it, it's hate, hate culture, hate speech. And Baba and, and Kalamazoo can cancel you out if you resist it. And in that moment, when we simply accept it because we're afraid to stand for something, you know, if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for everything, right? Yeah, and then the, the next one, ascended secular ideologies are self-styled religions that attempt to replay the ways of Jesus. They just don't call themselves religion, but they want to make the ways of Jesus ancient, abstract, and non-abiding. And scripture says, train your child up in the way they should go. So that when they are old, they will not depart the ways from God. When parents come and they bring their kids to, to, to be dedicated to God, their promise is, I will train my children in the way of God. And, and parents, I can tell you, there is nothing as painful than watching your kids drift from faith and you can do nothing about it. Because if you do not sow and invest when they're young, you will have a brutal harvest when they're old. That's why we are busy changing even our curriculum with kids. And, and we're going to ask parents to partner in a new way. Because if all you do is invest in their traveling soccer, they'll become incredible athletes with agnosticism pumping in their veins. Because if you do not make spiritual formation important, it, it, it's going to show up. So you say, Pastor P. Diddy, you sound like an ideology right now. I know, but I'm just presenting to you the reality of the convergence. Then the broken trust from spiritual leaders. And, and Najee, if you can play, would you please? Because this is a tender moment. And we've got to acknowledge that our world has gone through a tremendous amount of pain with spiritual leaders that were standing, holding high moral standards, yet privately they were living in the shadows of breaking every one of those things. It is hurting the world around us. 
And I want to say this. I am sure that I have said things in the last 20 years that have gone from this pulpit that didn't sound kind. And I want you to know it's never our intention for you to ever feel that we speak down at you. Because I think part of what we've made in the American culture, we have put spiritual leaders in high places and we have made idols, rock stars, special people of them, um, people that have arrived. Can I tell you, I want to say like Paul, I'm the chief sinner among us. I want to say like Paul, I want to confess my weakness because when I'm weak, he is strong. I want you to know that I'm a co-journeyman with you. I have questions, I have struggles, I have fears, I have uncertainties, but this one thing I know, that my life will be an open book before you, and if I fail, I wanna fail in this house. And I'm not planning to fail, by the way, I'm not planning. But I want this house to be a place of high forgiveness, high grace, that when you are struggling with sinful things that you don't want to come into this place and say, there's no room for me. Because some spiritual leaders have created communities that is small grace, high rejection. If you don't do it, if you've got questions, they'll never cast you out, but they turn a cold shoulder. They make you feel like you're not worthy. Oh, may the Father's house be a place that the wickedest among us is welcome, but don't sell your wickedness as a acceptable theology. And can I say something? Don't prey on people with your struggle. Because in that moment, Scripture says there are some people that come in in the church and all they want to do is shipwreck other people's faith. I ain't going to let that happen. But man, for humans to find God together and be honest with their life. Now, when these things happen and, and sec secular ideologies is creeping in, you can do anything and God is going to be okay with it. And you no longer trust spiritual leaders, trust the church, trust that this matter it becomes a big problem, so let me move on, because this is how you feel. I cannot stand hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when people pretend to have virtue and goodness, but they have shadow parts to their life. That's why God says, be careful to want to stand up here and teach, because those who teach will stand before God one day, because they speak on behalf of heaven. Therefore, I want to encourage you to pray for those who preach. Pray for them. Pray that they will not be held hostage, that their lives will not have shadow sides, that they live upright before God. But then there are three internal influences that converge. And I want to talk to you about the first thing, the lack of the fear of God. This is a big one. You know, my dad, I call him puppy, which means daddy. But when I mess up, he's called pa, which means father. When he calls me by my second name, it's about to go down. 
When he's pa, he still's got the heart of papi. But sometimes papi needs to be pa. Because if he's not a father and only a daddy, then there is a problem with how you're going to understand being reprimanded in stupidity. You know, the world around us has formed for themselves a God in their own image. The amount of conversation that I have heard and you have heard where people say, God is love. God is love. Mm, just think of Him, love. Breathe deep, breathe out. God is love. God, Yeah, He is, but that's not all He is. Because you see, love is so powerful and jealous, it will, it will push in even if you disappoint that love. But God is also just. And just is as a strong characteristic in God that love is. Do you know what just, just does? Just stands in the way and say, you cannot love them because sin cannot be reconciled with God. Sin separates us from God. And that's why justice says, you can't get close to them if they are sinful. But when Jesus died on the cross, he satisfied justice. So that justice can now make room for love to come. But God says one day, we're all going to stand before his throne and justice is going to meet us. Listen what scripture says. And I'm not wanting to make you scared about anything, but I want to bring the perspective. Um, it says this, so then, who? 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 We will give an account of ourselves before each of us, each of us. I've never been at a funeral where people go like, they're about to stand before God. I wonder how that's going to go down. To find comfort, apparently everybody's becoming an angel and a gardener in heaven. They lived like scoundrels, hurt people, terrible human beings, despised God, willful sinners. But apparently God needed a flower and he plucked this one. That is not true. Because you see, the Bible says this. And I'm not a judge. I'm not a judge. I'm not a judge. Bible tells us in Scripture that God is going to ask an account of us how we spend our time on this earth. He's going to ask an account of us. This is in the Bible. I can give you Scriptures. How we worked. Did we work to bait people out to self-enrich or did we understand that our work is to be part of the restorative work of God on the earth? Our work is service to others and worship to the Father. He's going to talk about our money and possessions. Because scripture tells us in, in the book of Malachi, God says, why do you keep robbing me? And he says, I'm not robbing you. God says, yeah, you do. You know that the first 10% of your income is mine. I provide for you, but that first 10% is for you to provide for the work of God on the earth. And if you hold on to that, God says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. And, and the question is, God's going to ask, hey, Pierre, how did you give? How generous were you with what I provided? He's going to ask about the words we have spoken. Oh, my dad always, when he feels the conversation goes around gossip, he always stopped it and go like, 
I'm not going to tell you what to say, but the Holy Spirit is listening and you will give an account of what you are saying. It killed a good story every time. <laughs> but my dad was very convinced you cannot say hurtful things and brush it off. You can't say, I don't know where it came from. Yeah, from your heart. That's where, be careful what you say because your words brings life or death. Your attitude towards other scripture gives that. Whether we have lived for God's glory or for ourselves, we're going to stand before living God one day. And I'm not here to bring fear to your heart, but I'm here to tell you. There is the story in the Bible that I read in my, my time spent with God the other day. He was talking about people that did great things for God. He says, these people abused or misused people's emotions and pocketbooks. He says that in the message. They manipulated emotions and finances. So it says this. So I can see it now at the final judgment. At the what? We're all going to be there. But can I tell you the beautiful thing? The final judgment is not all negative things. Because the Bible says, for those who are faithful lies, a crown of life. For those who walk in the ways of Jesus, practice the ways of Jesus. It's not sinlessness. It's people that walk in an honest relationship with God. He says he is faithful to the very end. For him is laid up a crown of life as a reward. He says, whatever you do for God, seen and unseen, he sees what you are doing. He says, when you do good things, don't tell everybody about it because your reward in heaven then is gone. Do you understand that one day when we stand before him, I'm excited. Expecting to hear, well done, faithful servant. I'm expecting a crown of reward. I want you to expect that. But listen, he says to these people, he says at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preach the message. We bash the demons. This is not NIV, clearly not NIV. Um, bash the demons, our super spiritual project projects had everybody talking in other words we did great things under the name of God to feed our own pride and you know what I'm gonna say you missed the boat all you did was use me to make yourself important then he says this you don't impress me one bit you out of here that's kind NIV says this depart from me you evil one Ugh. in that moment you say, what are you trying to communicate? I'm trying to communicate to you that our father is daddy and his father. And we've got to understand our choices will be for God. The second one is high digital input and low scripture. I shared this with you last week. That one of the most embarrassing thing you can do is go to your, your iPhone. I don't know if Android does it. Jitterbug will not do that. Um, when you go on your iPhone and look at your screen time, they say that we spend about 3,000 hours a year allowing the ideologies of the world to flow through us. Um, I believe that in our time, my time, your time, that they're still going to pass a law to prevent young kids from getting on these social um, uh, platforms because they say never have there been so many young kids that want to kill themselves because they're not living up 
to the expectation of what a successful life is. Many of you, and that includes me, cannot live in simplicity and gratitude because people that make less money than we are are traveling the world. And we go like, if they can travel the world, what the heck? Why can't I travel the world? Meanwhile, they're in their backyards under a tree telling you it's the Bahamas. They are catfishing you. They stand next to cars that they accidentally walk by and they pose like the Lamborghini is theirs. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. We are listening to Baba from Kalamazoo teaching us theology. We are listening to ideologies and it sounds virtuous, virtuous, but its very root is rotten and especially the generation that we are in right now has a very high moral value for justice. And I believe the church should have justice and fighting for the rights of people. But we cannot join ourselves with movements that has got rot to its very core when it comes to what they believe, apart from what they stand for. You see... If scripture is only twice a month in 30 minutes and I use four, that's all you get. You know, by the time that you leave today, do it. I double day you do it. As soon as you get in the car, turn to the person that came with you and say, what did he preach on today? You know what you're going to look at? A Baba from Kalamazoo. That's what he preached on. You remember the stories. You don't remember the scripture. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus says, the words that I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Not homeowner improvements you, for, for, for your standard of living. They are foundational words to build a life. Jesus said these words when he spoke. He says, the words I speak to you are spirit and life-giving. It is God-breathed. Listen, when we read scripture, it's not information we're reading. We are reading and inhaling the breath of God. That's why David says, I will meditate on your word day and night. I will not sit in this, uh, this, this, um, the seat of mockers or stand in the way of sinners. But my delight shall be in meditating on your law day and night. Then I'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of life which yields fruit in and out of season. My leaves shall not wither no matter what the temperature and climate is. And whatever I do, it shall prosper. David says this, I will hide your word in my heart so that sin cannot come in. You and I cannot uh, with self-will keep sin on the outside. It is the, the raising up of Scripture that prevents sin from entering. That's why Jesus, when He was tempted in the desert, He, he didn't use anything but Scripture. And, and I can tell you, if the Word is not in you, you have no resistance, no resistance, no uprising of truth. Because I'm sure you, like me, I'm just honest, I struggle with anxiety often because my identity is too enmeshed with this church. Sometimes, especially during this COVID season at three o'clock in the night, I hear that voice. Come on, don't look at me this way. Everybody is a voice. Please say yes. Oh, thank God. 
I thought you're going to write me a letter and give me a referral to a psychologist. You know the voice that says, it's over. They're not coming back. Money is falling. You might as well go live in Kalamazoo with Baba. Oh, it's going to be so embarrassing. Your name's going to be in the paper. They're going to have a big auction, sell everything off. It's so shameful. You can't do this anymore. You can't pick this up. You have other things that the enemy is telling you. And in that moment, I can't go like, not true, not true, not true, not true, not true. Because honestly, if I listen for it too long, it logically is accurate. You know what the Word of God says? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and the sound mind. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. You've not given me the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption where I might cry, Abba, Father. Oh, and by the way, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hey, do you know what I believe? Miracles are not an anomaly. It's quite normal for the God of the heaven and the earth. And maybe I should become less before God becomes more. So you keep preaching, I'll keep believing. But I'm going to show up and prove you wrong because God is a truth maker. Listen, it shuts it up till tomorrow night. It revisits and revisits, but all I have is I've laid up your word in my heart. And if you don't lay the word up in my heart, and my desire is, church, that you and I, in the season forward, and please be on Wednesday night, my dream is that we'll become lovers of Scripture again. That you'll become a lover of holding Scripture in your hand again. That our kids will become lovers of memorizing Scripture. That parents, you know... <laughs> In the past, we would reward kids when they bring friends. When I grew up, you get a reward every time you can memorize scripture. I was good at it because I love the rewards. But you know what the most incredible thing is? Not one of those scriptures has ever departed from my heart. And my desire is that our kids will be intentional. You'll be intentional that my desire is soon that we'll sit here with Bibles and notebooks, that we will become like David. We will become avid lovers of God's Word. That doesn't mean you will not have doubts and questions. But man, anchor to truth, the very breath of God. Can I give you one more? A wounded heart. Life is cruel. People are cruel. I don't think there's a single human being that I'm speaking to right now in our Greece campus online in this room that have not experienced a wounded heart. The only thing in our house that we buy bulk is that big brown bottle. What is that disinfectant? Proxide. The moment the kids come in and they bleed, they go like, not the brown bottle, not the brown bottle. I'm a realist. I go like, the brown bottle or you lose your finger. You choose. That's how this goes down. Because if infection comes into a wound, you will lose a limb. 
if you don't deal, if I don't deal with wounded hearts, it complicates how we see the world. We don't trust people. You don't trust me. You don't trust the church. You don't trust the word. You don't trust God. You're angry at God because he's cruel. Because the world is telling you, if God is a God of love, why would he allow this? Can I tell you something? I don't know, but one thing I know, he promised me that one day when I see him, he'll come in proximity to me and he will wipe the tears from my human eyes. He will heal what is broken. We are living in a world that will hurt you. But don't let infection come into your heart. And you hear me speaking, you go like, you're just another one of them. No, you don't even know me. Maybe I'm not. Maybe this family is not. Because you see, if we have no scripture, we lack the fear of God and we have a wounded heart. It will create in us a convergence that we will deconstruct scripture. Here's my last two scriptures. He says, then with meekness, you'll be able to carefully enlighten those who argue with you so that they can see God's gracious gift. What is this word? The only way that people will hear the truth is when it comes from a meek spirit. When you're not preached at when you're not commanded and demanded, when you're invited to truth. He says, because if you do that, watch, watch, this is so important. This will cause them to rediscover themselves and es escape from the snare of Satan who caught them. As I shared with you when I was a kid, Everything was the devil. Have you ever been raised in a house where everything's the devil? Everything. You cough, they go like, oh, bring the oil. Bring the oil. It's the devil. Like, ooh, I feel him. Mm, mm, bring the oil. Right. You're in church doing a sound check, and there's feedback in the sound system, and everybody goes like, oh, the devil is in the sound. Come, let's hold hands. Let's rebuke the devil. No, it's an old sound system, and the sound guy is terrible. Not ours, but it's terrible. Everything's not the devil. But you know the world that we are living in, nothing is the devil. People who don't want to believe that there is an evil power at work. Scripture teaches us that evil is at work. And the more it can hide in the logic of people's ideologies, the more potent it can operate. Because this is what Paul says, and I love this. I'm done. I'm done. I went so long last weekend. Evil preys on woundedness. So Paul calls out these ideas and convergences, ideologies that are often animated by demonic power. The devil love for you to walk in doubt and in the fog of unbelief. He will willfully place people around you that will keep destroying the little you hold. C.S. Lewis said it so powerfully. He says, there's not an inch in this universe that has not been contended and reclaimed and claimed to be reclaimed. Everything we will fight for righteousness. So this is what Paul says in closing. 
The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You go like, see, now you're doing Boy Scout stuff with us. What are the fortresses that he's talking about? Are you ready for it? He says, we are destroying sophisticated arguments. And every exalted and proud thing said in itself against the knowledge of God, which is scripture. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Your identity is under siege. Your belief in your future is under siege. Do you understand you are not your thoughts? You are not your thoughts. And God says, don't. Oh, can I, can I say this? I'm going to say it. It's rhetorical. How this works, you should say. Absolutely say it. So can I say that? Of course I'm going to because you asked for it. Would you allow anyone else to speak to you the way you speak to yourself? Come on. If you got on a long train ride with somebody and they speak to you like you allow your mind to speak to you, how long before you throw them out the train and take the fifth? Come on. Bible says that voice, take it captive. You're not a failure. Because God says, I'm more than an overcomer. Your future is not failure. Because God says, only goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You are not going to go under. For God says, my thoughts over you are good. But you know, whatever God says does not matter unless you follow in the footsteps of heaven. So Pastor Pierre, what is the bottom line? To all of this today the bottom line to all of this beautiful church family is that questioning faith is important to understand deep convictions of faith but having these things converge bringing toxic air around you and people that are willful to destroy your faith and you keep deconstructing, deconstructing, disconnecting yourself from a church family and people is going to push you over the cliff. And I hate to tell you, but God calls us sheep. I didn't say that. He said it. And I've said the story a thousand times. Why is it that you don't get smart sheep? You'll have a thousand sheep walk. And then the first sheep would fall off the cliff. And the next one and the next one. You would think by the seventh one, they go like, just stop. Where did Molly go? Too many Mollies. 
allowed the world to deconstruct and take away their faith. And I want to invite you, your questions are important. Your life is important. Your future is important. And God's invite is to be planted in His house, to grow in faith, to have a community where you can ask the hard things and if they can't answer, doesn't mean that you should go somewhere else. I love honest people that says, I don't know. But one day we will. But for now, may God help us to grow in the things that matters most.